This is episode 18 of the No Limits podcast. Welcome back, and we're glad that you're here. The podcast is brought to you by Tangle Free Waterfowl. We can't say enough about the good folks at Tangle Free and the gear they produce. It's really simple. You work hard for your money. Why buy cheap gear that you'll need to replace every other year? Tangle Free gear is as tough as it is functional. Uh, there are enough variables that can ruin your hunt. If you're using Tangle Free, your gear won't be one of those variables. So check them out today at TangleFree.com. Enter the promo code PASSION at checkout and get free shipping on your entire order. Tangle Free waterfowl. Also, Hunter's Blend Coffee. Let me ask you a question. Is your coffee hunter-friendly? You may say, I don't understand. What do you mean? Once you understand how coffee is sourced and brought to market, you start to understand that the people sourcing that coffee don't always have our best interest as hunters in mind. Many of those buyers are anti-hunting, anti-Second Amendment. Hunter's Blend is different. Hunter's Blend has developed a direct trade model where they buy directly from the farmers. This keeps the money out of the hands of those who would see our hunting heritage destroyed and puts it back in the hands of the farmers. Hunter's Blend also donates to organizations like the U.S. Sportsman's Alliance who are fighting for our right to hunt where it really matters, in the courtroom. So we love the mission of Hunter's Blend Coffee, and we love their coffee too. It is super, super good. You know, that's something that we take really, really seriously. So check them out today at huntersblendcoffee.com. My guest today is one of my long time hunting friends, Josh Raggio of Raggio Custom Duck Calls. I visit Josh in his call shop in Raymond, Mississippi. Uh, Josh and I catch up on some of our hunting memories in the Mississippi Delta. We talk about Josh's experience as a competition caller and how he first became interested in really the, the art and heritage and history of turning custom duck calls. Josh had a goal of just making himself his own duck call and fell in love with the process so much that he's now turned his passion into his profession. We talk about the incredible amount of faith it took for Josh uh, to make that move and how he has seen his faith grow throughout that process. We talk about some of the old-time call makers that inspire Josh and guide Josh as he, as he continues to grow as a call maker and how he eventually has developed his own style and brand. We talk about some of the stories that his calls tell. We talk about the mobile call shop, which I think is just one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And we talk about a new video that will be documenting Josh's personal and professional journey as a call maker. We also talk about his collaboration with Filson and how that new relationship was one of the key points of validation that Josh was faithfully walking in the plan that God had called him to. Uh, the calls that Josh turns out are a truly beautiful piece of functional art that, guys, if you haven't seen them, you absolutely must check them out. Uh, I'm so happy for the success that Josh is experiencing. I had a great time catching up with my my friend, my old hunting buddy, and master call maker, Josh Raggio. All right, all right. Yeah, you got to. It's, uh, it's kind of a contradiction. Um, you know, the shop didn't look like this, obviously, when we first moved in. But I had a vision for it. Right. And 
uh, you know, having a wall. And I think I got that idea. Uh, my wife and I like to go, you know, in the Delta and stay at some of these bread and breakfasts and see the blues clubs and things like that. And uh, I saw one one time where people signed wall. Yeah. I thought that'd just be the coolest thing yeah. to have in the shop. No doubt. So, um, so yeah, that's what it is. And we actually do it in the mobile shop too. That's, yeah, you mentioned the Delta. That's where you and I kind of met each other and hunted together in the Delta. I just love that. I mean, we go all over the place and film, and it's, it's some really super interesting places. But that Delta is just, it's such a special place, man. I was going to say special. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's unique and it's special uh, for a lot of reasons. Everything from obviously what we love, right. the waterfowl history of it, to, to even the blues scene. Yeah, I love music. You can see my guitars hanging around. I love, I'm not great at it, but I love right. picking up a guitar. Right. It's just kind of how I chill. So yeah. I'll take a break during the middle of the day yeah. and just relax. And all that was was birth in the Mississippi Delta. Right there. Yeah. Right. Like when you go into Rolling Fork, that whole, you know the wall that I'm talking about before you get to the Sunflower Grocery, that whole wall, that building with all the muddy waters and all the, that place is just, there's so much musical tradition there. And it's such a cool tie-in with duck calls because, you know, a duck call is a musical instrument. Sure. It is. It is. Um, but getting you and I met because we hunted a refuge. I'm not going to mention the name of it because then I'll get hate mail. Are you sending everybody to our... No, I'm not. <laughs> you know. Um, but you and I met because we belong to kind of the same hunting camp there. That's right. And you were... You weren't in the duck called building business. You were in the duck called blowing competition business. Yeah, that got started. You know, my dad was a comp caller and uh, eventually went in, you know, to more of the, he directed some contests and that type thing. But, uh, and, I, and I've told the story, you know, a lot of folks have heard this, but, you know, growing up, we I heard a duck call in my house 365 days a year. It's just how it's just how it was. He carried one in his pocket. I bet your mom loved that. You know, you guess it's kind of. I'll tell you this. I worked in a hardware store when I was in high school, and we sold crickets. The first week I worked there, the sound of crickets I thought was going to drive me crazy. <laughs> a week later, never heard a cricket again. It's just one of those things your mm-hmm. mind, you know, your mm-hmm. brain learns to tune out. That's kind of how like it growing was. up by a railroad <laughs> track. Same exact thing. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's just how it was, you know, that was before cell phones. So I'd be on you know, the phone with my buddies and my dad whack, 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 in the background. Like, what is going on? It's like, yeah. I don't know. What, I, don't know what you're talking, I don't hear anything. Yeah. So, you know, I just grew up around it. And obviously I started getting into it because my dad liked it. Right. Um, it was fortunate enough to win a few contests, Blown Worlds. and But yeah, when we met, that was kind of the extent of, I guess, my duck call mm-hmm. <laughs> involvement yeah. at that time. Yeah. Um, gosh, well, that was 20 too, years ago. Yeah, too long ago. Yeah, it was a long time. Too long ago. We long made, um, you might remember the hunt, but we made a hunt because one of the guys, there's a lot of deer hunting that goes in there too. A lot of the club members that were, we stayed are deer hunters. And so I would always, we would always get our best information from deer hunters, like when the, the woods would fill up with water. Like, man, these, y'all duck hunters? Yeah. Well, I wish y'all would come shoot all these from underneath my stand. Oh, no problem. Where are you? Yeah. But the trick was, see, the deer hunters didn't really know, like, what kind of ducks are they? I don't know. They're ducks. Okay, well, are they wood ducks? Are they mallards? So you had to get to, all right, well, what kind of sounds are they making? 
Are they whistling? No, these are these are quacking. Roger that. Gotcha. <laughs> no, that is. It was just one little section where a break had spilled off into the woods. We had never killed ducks there before, and then a few a few years later, a tornado came through there and went right through the trees where you and I stood, and we've never killed a duck there since. But it was just one of those places where you've never seen ducks before, and we just beat the brakes off of them. Um, but that place has just gotten so crowded now, man. Yeah, even if you mention it, I don't think it matters because no, everybody knows about it. Anyway. And hence why I don't hunt there anymore. Yeah, you don't hunt there anymore. You know? I, I don't. I haven't hunted there. Like our very first episode that we filmed of Passion or Pursuit was filmed there. Yeah, and yeah. it was it was a foot race. Oh, I'm sure. And it's just like that's beautiful. I, I remember seeing the pictures. Um, yeah. from that, it is a it is just picturesque. But <clears throat> picturesque with somebody every hundred yards from you. And yeah. And, not and as many ducks now. No, there's not. And the thing that that whole area, I loved hunting the Delta. But that one particular area, you know, they wouldn't they wouldn't close any of the water control structures until after the draw hunts were over for the deer season. And that was like first of the year. Well, if you haven't started holding water by then... You know, so typically you'd get like two or three good weekends of shooting there. And then, so everybody waits for those last two or three weekends and descends upon this place. So, yeah. And it was good, but it was crowded and it was, it was public land hunt. I mean, it's tough. It's like going into green trees. Nothing easy about it. No. Nothing easy about it. But it's so rewarding when you put your time and effort into something like that. It's so rewarding, um, you know, to go and have a good hunt. Yeah. Um, and a good hunt doesn't mean killing limits. Mm-mm. Just to go have a good hunt. Uh, but what I loved about that camp was, and I miss it so much. I do too, man. It was it was the, the fellowship. My best friend, you know, since moved to another state, took a different job, so we don't see each other very much. You know, I mean, we could not wait to get off work just to get away. Just to go, go there. To go there. Yeah. And cook on the grill, you know, and just chill and relax. It was something about it. It was the community of, and because you remember like when the wives would go too, like the, all the wives were good friends. So like if we'd go like during the summer for a work weekend or something like that, we'd bring crawfish up from Louisiana and cook or something. It was just the, like you said, the fellowship, the community of guys that were, this is a big schoolhouse. Yeah. So it, you know, everybody kind of had their own room, but it was 10,000 square feet of just guys up and down yeah. And, and it could be as secluded as you want it to be, or it could yeah. be as community as you want it to be. And, you yeah. know, there's some days you just kind of want to go lock your door. And That's chill. why I had to move from <laughs> down by the party end of the of the camp to the old man quiet end of the camp on yeah. the other side. Those end rooms were good. We had the, yeah. we had an end room, too, so yeah. we were away from the a lot of the stuff. Yeah. Now, you, you came back up when I moved my room down to the other end, and I redid that, that other room. I think that was, like, probably one of the last times we saw each other up there. Yeah. Um, but talk a little bit about moving from competition caller to, hey man, uh, because as I look as I look around, and anybody that has not seen your calls on Instagram, shame on you because they're just, I mean, they sound great, especially when you blow them. I, I'm not a great caller, but I'm a pretty good duck convincer to to come, and we'll talk about that too. But um, anybody that hasn't seen. They are 
they are craftsmanship works of just beautiful art. Thank you. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've heard it referred to and, and I kind of, I like the term uh, functional art. Yeah. You know, um, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. You know, there, every call I make is, is made to go hunt with mm-hmm. now. Not everybody will go hunt with it because they may see aesthetically, it, they may say, I, I can't put that on my lanyard. That's going on my shelf. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, but internally, the guts, you know, the the sound mechanism, the tone board, it's made to go hunt with. It's I want you to go to hunt. It's created. Oh, yeah. To, yeah, I want you to go beat the heck out of it. Give it some character. You right. Know? Uh, and I get the question oftentimes: How many? You know, say so what's the percentage of the calls you sell that that get hunted versus go to you know collectors or get put on shelves? Right. And I really don't know, but my best guess would be probably you know, 70, 30, 70 get hunted, 30% probably go, uh, on a shelf. Um, cause call That's collecting actually higher days, than I thought it would be. Call collecting is a big deal these days. Oh yeah. Uh, and actually talking about that transition from comp calling to call making, there was a, for me, a call collecting stage in between there where I really started digging into the history of calls, uh, how they were made, uh, the history of the call makers themselves. Um, and I just got, I was, just fascinated by it. And so there was a, a time period there where I was collecting calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically any call I get my hands on, I'd buy it. Um, then when you really started getting into it, you start learning the differences in the handmade versus the mass produced and the stories behind, you know, some of these call makers and how they did things. And, uh, and again, it just, I was enamored by it. And so, you know, you kind of go through that phase of, of comp calling to call collecting, and then it just became kind of a bucket list thing for me. The idea of it to make my own call and go kill ducks with it. I just, it just consumed me. Yeah. And that was, you know, before Facebook and all that really was kicked off. And so I, I put, it was back in the forum days. I put an ad out uh, or just a, a, whatever you would call it, a post out uh, on MS Ducks at the time that I was looking for a bandsaw, a drill press, and a lathe. And a guy 30 minutes away was trying to make turkey calls, wasn't going his way. He messaged me back, said, I got this. It's good stuff, but I'll sell it pretty cheap. So I met him and bought it. And, you know, that was the first step was actually starting to gather all the equipment. Right. Which a lot of, you know, you don't just go buy those three things and make a call. There's a lot of other tooling that you don't go buy at Home Depot. That it is required. You don't go in the duck call building section next to the plumbing and get. You don't. Yeah, no. So there was there was a pretty good learning curve just from a tooling aspect because honestly I'd never done any type of woodworking in my life. So just figuring out, I obviously knew where the on off switches were. But a funny story about the lathe, I turned it on, and I put my tools up to turn the very first piece of wood I was going to turn, and it kept catching. It, It wouldn't. It wasn't turning per se. I touched the wood with a tool and it almost stopped. Well, I mean, this is how little I knew about it. You know, you know, it has belts that can control the speeds. <laughs> you got to move the belt to get a faster speed. Right. Well, I mean, I, it, yeah, it took me two days to figure that out. Yeah. I mean, I was just completely ignorant of the whole thing. Right. Um, which looking back at it now, it's kind of cool that, you know, and I was in my garage, didn't have a shop. Um, swatting mosquitoes and had all my hunting clothes on in the winter because you'd be freezing. Yeah. Not to mention you just worked all day <clears throat> and got home, you know, played with the kids, and then you're 
working out there till midnight. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I just had a fire. I loved it. I loved just the challenge of trying to make that first duck call. And uh, you know, I started to get a little bit into the details of of the call. Your duck call is your tone board. You know, right. everything else is pretty much just aesthetic. Um, your shape and all that. Um, I did want to stay traditional. I didn't want to do laser engraving. I didn't want to do a sticker, mm-hmm. um, which thinking back now was probably a pretty crazy idea when you first start something like that, that you want to be recognized by a shape and yeah. nobody knows who in the world you are. Mm-hmm. But one day you want to be recognized by your call shape. Yeah. That's just how I was just the road I picked. And uh, I started with what they call a flat jig. Mm-hmm. And so I, you would have to learn how to, you know, obviously turn wood first and then turn an, an insert. Well, then you got to learn how to drill it and how deep to drill it. And you put it on this flat jig and cut it. Well, that gave you zero sound, right? And so you pull it out of the flat jig, you start filing sand it until eventually you get a sound and it's a bad sound. Uh, <laughs> but I remember getting that first sound and just the joy that it brought me. Like, okay. Now, wow, we're on to something. I don't know what we're on to. I'm a lot further than I was 15 <laughs> minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it was days. Yeah, yeah it was days because it just it's it's so uh, so tedious. Um, and you got to think every time you you know say you mess that one up, uh, you got to turn a whole another insert yeah. and drill it, and all that was not second nature at that time. So just turning an insert to get to the point where you could start filing and sanding to try to get a duck call took a lot of time and uh and, and i remember my um we only had one child at the time and she was young and it'd be late at night and i'd be working on those inserts i would have to go because she'd be asleep and so would my wife i'd, I'd turn it and i'd file and send it i have to go get in my truck and drive I, I, I knew that's where you were going. <laughs> to blow it file and send a little more but you know and i had a neighbor you know we, at the time we had close neighbors and like it just it's just what i had to do yeah you know? but but thinking about that, so, so it was the hard way to do things. Right. You know, now they sell a public jig that'll give you sound right off the bat. Again, it's not a great sound, but it gives you a sound. Starting with that flat jig, it forced me to learn the dynamics of a tone board. Right? So now if a guy wants more back pressure or less back pressure or more volume or less volume, because a call can sound good, but if it doesn't feel right, you know, there, mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of things that make your favorite call, your favorite call mm-hmm. and it's feel and sound are the main things. Yeah. Well, doing it that way forced me to learn those dynamics to be able to quote unquote customize, you know, from a sound standpoint and feel standpoint, your call. Um, I also did it that way because I, from my cop calling days, I knew all the old call makers. Um, and if I was going to be a call maker one day, I wanted to be respected by them. Mm-hmm. And that was going to take a lot of time that's earned you know and if you don't start out doing it the hard and the right way you'll never get to that point of being respected by another call maker right right uh, so that was my thought process through that and then you know and, and i've got it in there in in the in the front room you know i got my first duck call and still hunt with it once a year you know uh, mm-hmm. my best friend edward uh <clears throat> i was taking him over to him and showing him and and uh, he wanted to buy my first call, and so he did. And uh, I think he handed me—I think he handed me a hundred-dollar bill, which was just crazy to think. Right, right. And uh, 
So he bought the first one. So now every year we go on a hunt. I take the very first call. He takes, uh, my dad got number two, Edward got number three. Uh-huh. So we take number one and three on a hunt every year. Uh, so that's fun. You know, yeah. it's fun to think about because I don't do it till you sit down and you talk to somebody and you, and you get to actually tell your story. Right. I don't really think about that much, you know, anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been doing it, I guess, six years or so, somewhere that time frame now. You know, and now I do it for a living. And, uh, you know, thinking back to those times, I never, um, you know, Edward bought one, but I never thought I'd actually sell duck calls. Right. Yeah. You know, much less do it for for a living, how we put food yeah. on our table. Who are some of those old timers, like the old call makers that you just, you look back and you're like, man, those guys were just innovative. Who Who is it that if you had to pick a couple that you'd say just really stand out, mm-hmm. it may be a hard thing to do, but. No, I mean, it's, there's so many, um, but just to name a few, I wrote a blog about my very first call ever. Um, it was made by Alvin Taylor. Mm-hmm. My dad took me uh, to the Worlds when I was 12, and, you know, they still have the call booth uh, if you go today. But uh, Alvin was set up. He's he's now uh, deceased, but uh, my dad bought me my first handmade duck call. And so I didn't understand at that time the significance of it. Now, obviously, I do. But out t- <clears throat> excuse me, Alvin Taylor was, you know, he thought outside the box. He made some some very basic calls, but he made some calls that were kind of out there. Um, he, you know, I happened to have one of six aluminum calls that he made. Really? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I did some captive ring calls uh, early. I haven't done done one in a couple years, but he was the first one that I saw do that. Um, so he thought really, you know, outside the box um and i th- i i was old enough to really get to know him you know when we met and i got that call but i think he was pretty cantankerous yeah <laughs> you know, i've always heard that about him uh-huh um you know billy starks is another one that is probably one of the best call makers that's the least known um you know he's from stuttgart um, there was a ton of guys from Stuttgart mm-hmm. that made calls. Uh, Billy's been doing it 50 years now. He was a guide uh, for that long. Um, you know, and, and he and I now are, are have a really good relationship. He's one of those guys that's just, I just like to talk to him and ask him to tell stories because he's got some unbelievable stories. Yeah. Um, you know, so I mean, there, there's so many, but, you know, there's guys that have passed away and guys that are still alive. You know, they, they they have a true passion for it. And you can tell when you talk to them about duck calls. Mm-hmm. It's what they love. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like me. It took me 30-something years to figure out that I would even could even make a duck call. Right. Much less that it would be my, <laughs> you know, pun intended, my calling. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, you know, I feel like that's what it is uh, for me. It's It's... You know, we all go through different times in our lives where we're called to do certain things. This phase is, for me, about duck calls. Right. I don't see it ever dying out. Right. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know that. Yeah. I don't know. I may wake up tomorrow and say, that's it. That was the last one. Well, you got a lot of blocks here to turn. So you yeah. better not wake up tomorrow <laughs> and figure that out. I hope that's not the case. Uh, but, 
you know, on my Instagram today, I posted, uh, you know, we, my wife and I were able to take a three day trip, uh, past few days just to get away and, and relax and kind of, uh, just kind of refuel and refocus. And I didn't realize how much I needed it. Mm. Um, you know, because this is my, the hardest thing for a craftsman to do is to stop. Yeah. Um, especially when your work is at your house. Obviously my shop is here. I'm well, right. 20 feet. Right. Right. It's very difficult for me to stop and just take a breath. Um, I don't take weekends. I don't take holidays. Um, you know, even on Sundays after church, I come out here and I work. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize I needed that. I needed a break. You know, it it's mean hard to realize that you need a break from doing something that you love to do. Yeah. Isn't it? It is. It is. I mean, even just being out here and just, you know, just kind of looking around and, and just being in my shop. Um, yeah, I, I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. But I did. I need, I needed a break, you know? Yeah. Well, you mentioned, um, the stories that these call makers have. And as I look around here, some of the material that you have has stories to it also. Really interesting stories. Like we looked at that block of Bethlehem or that olive wood from Bethlehem. Yeah. Obviously for you and I being believers, that's that's a pretty interesting story in itself. What are some of the other woods or mediums that you've used that have really cool backstories to them? Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, you know, I've I've turned recently. I made a post about um, I had a fellow send me some sand from Iwo Jima, mm. um, and his dad had collected it from the very place that his friend stood and fought. Right. Um, so he he sent it he sent it to me and asked me to inlay the sand into a call, uh, of which he was doing good things with. He kept one for his family, um, but he's now auctioning it off. Um, I think it's on eBay now and he's donating all that money towards, you know, one of the, um, you know, veteran foundations. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had major league baseball players send me their bats. Uh, I turn calls out of that. Uh, and I keep, I ask them to sign the handles and I keep the handles, right. you know, yeah. in my little showroom. Yeah. Um, you know, I've turned some stuff recently that's not wood. It's, it's called Fordite and Fordite is, basically the accumulation of paint at the bottom of a paint booth mm-hmm. over time it starts building up it gets baked over and over again and so you paint a white car a red car a blue car a green car and you see those layers of paint um so recently i turned you know some calls out of the fordite but it was actually from the corvette factory 1980 1982 from flint michigan now it's in bowling green kentucky the, right. the factory is uh you know um the, the misconception from I don't I don't take blanks usually I only mm-hmm. use my own right um, and that's simply because and, and before I started making calls I didn't know this either you know a lot of people think you can just go cut a tree or a limb in your front yard and send it to a call maker and he's gonna make a call out of it there's so much that goes into getting that piece of wood to the point where you can make a call yeah um, for example moisture content you know it's got to be less than ten percent moisture content really needs to be less than that. Um, so how do you dry it? Well, when, when, when all that moisture starts coming out of wood, it starts cracking. Mm. And so there's ways that you have to handle these wood blanks where you can ever turn them. 
And, you know, you're talking a year to two years to get some of this stuff dry. How'd you learn that? <laughs> the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, number one, the band falls off every year and I have right. to put it back on because I had no idea what shrink. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, there, there's just the learning curve was tremendous. But, um, you know, in the end, uh, you know, getting get back to the mediums, um, there's a piece of turned one out of some skateboards i found a guy that, that takes old skateboards and he pulls them apart and they're actually just laminated wood is what uh-huh. they are and so i turned one out of that skateboard material um so that you know i try to think outside the box um try to make very unique pieces doesn't happen every time mm-hmm. it's impossible Right before it happened every time. I love to make a Coca-Cola call, Bodot call, a hedge, you know. Like, I, I love making those type calls too. But every now and then you get something that, that is special and yeah. has a story behind it. And, he, and even just those, you know, quote unquote basic hunting calls, you know, I build those to hand to you. And my hope is you hang it on your lanyard and you start building stories with that call. Mm-hmm. And you start having all these experiences and your duck call is the one thing that's been with you, you know, cause you may change guns and you may change calls, but it's seen if, if only some of those calls could talk, you know, and then right. you pass it down or you hand it down to your son or grandson or nephew or best friend, whoever it is with all those stories that, that is the coolest thing to me. Yeah. That, that is why I do what I do. Now, when guys get calls from you, you will help to, because everybody calls differently. Absolutely. So you will help. Number one, you kind of, they will tell you the type of sounds that they want or the way that they blow a call. And you'll help them achieve that with the call that you make. Correct? Correct. You know, there is, it's uh, obviously if somebody can come to the shop or visit the mobile shop. Right. And, and, and I, and I have you in person. Obviously, that's a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, but there are certain questions that I like to ask when you're ordering a call. Um, you know, really the first, because I think, I haven't blown all the calls on the market, but the, the popular calls that, that most guys um, have used, I've also used those calls or blown them at some point. So I'll ask you, you know, what's your favorite call now? And based on what you tell me, I, I can start to understand what you like in a call. Um. I ask if you like back pressure, mm-hmm. if you like loud, soft. Um, you know, sometimes I'll ask if you don't mind when you send video yourself blowing a call and send me a sound file. Right. Uh, just text it to me. You know, I can tell a lot by the sounds that you can make, what that call feels like, um, first of all. And so, you know, I do the best I can to get that call based on what you're telling me to get that call like you're going to want it. Now I send reads with it you know, and all that when you get your call. So you may put a lot more air than I do into it. Right. So you may have to throw that read away and just get you, cut yourself a longer one or a shorter one. Right. Um, but I always, you know, I send pictures and I send, I send a sound file. I'll text you a sound file of your call when it's done. So you know that the range is there, the tone is there. It's in the call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, you can all, it's, 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 there's an operator you know, <laughs> portion of this whole thing. Right, right, right. Um, and it's up to you to get that, that sound out of it. Yeah. You know, that's with any duck call. Yeah. Um, you send me a picture of a gorgeous guitar. Doesn't mean that I'm going to be able to play it. Right. 
Right. You know. There's a lot of, so there's a big difference between being a great, and this is what I alluded to before, being a, a great duck caller, either Main Street or meat type cop calling, and being able to convince ducks to come put their feet down in front of you. Um, I am not a good caller at all. But what I learned to do, and I think I learned to do it pretty well, was to be able to call enough and watch how they're reacting, mm-hmm. to know what they want to hear at that particular time, and to be just good enough to where you can usually you can if they want to if they want to be worked, you can work them because I've seen guys that sound awesome on stage have no idea how to read birds in the air to see what they feel like hearing that day. Yeah, there's that's absolutely. And I learned that where you and I hunted. You had to learn that. Yeah, yeah, that and that only comes from experience of being in the woods. Yeah, that's the only place you can really get that. I could do seminar after seminar on that, um, and it might help to a degree. But until you get out there and you watch a duck react to your call or not react to your call, mm-hmm. that's how you learn. Um, and, and here's the other thing, and I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of this as anybody when it comes to turkey hunting. I don't pick up my turkey calls until the night before opening day. It's just how, just how I am. I'm not yeah. going to use a turkey call every day. Right. Um, however, I blow a duck call every day. Right. If you will put in a little bit of extra practice throughout the year um, and make, make yourself efficient, um, and be able to do the basic sounds. So you eliminate that part when you go hunting. When you go hunting, you know you can make the right sounds. Mm-hmm. Now you just got to learn when to make those sounds. When? Yeah. Yeah. And so you got to be able to make the sounds, but then knowing when to make them is just as important as, you know, producing the right tones. Mm-hmm. And, but look, every duck sounds different. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, it's Ford, Chevy, Dodge. It's, you know, other car manufacturers, mine. Right. You know, um, we all we all have slightly different tones and every person presents air into a call. I could hand you a call. I could blow it and I can hand it to you and it's going to sound different. Oh, yeah. It's air presentation. Oh, I can guarantee you it's going to sound different. <laughs> it's air presentation. <laughs> that much I can promise. all it is. Um, so there's so, and that's why it's so fascinating. It's like you're always chasing the perfect call. You know, and, and I just don't. But you're chasing the perfect call based on what you think it is. Correct. Based on what your perception of what the perfect call is. Correct. Think about this. All right. So we're talking. So you mentioned it's a musical instrument. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. So why is your favorite song not my favorite song? Um, yeah. When I think about that, why? And, 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 and like I, I said, I play the guitar a little bit. I strum chords. So why do I like a GCD chord? And you like an EF A chord, you know, um, your ear likes a different tone than my ear. Now, scientifically, I can't explain that, mm-hmm. but it's true. You know, it's the same reason you pick up a, you know, a soundtrack of 10 songs and you only like three of them out of the 10. Your ear likes certain things yeah. and everybody's ear is different. Doesn't make yours right or wrong or mine right or wrong. Uh, it's, it's just that it's so fascinating to me. Yeah, but the thing so that the thing that draws the line between duck callers and duck killers is the duck killers have figured out that it doesn't matter what I like to hear. It's what what is going to get that hen's attention or that Drake's attention 
to pull the rest of them in to the hole. That's and true. that is, man, I learned in the, the holes you and I hunted in the Delta, you know, you call it their butts or their, or their wingtips. You know, when they're they're going away, you may hit them with a, a little more excited to get them. But when you see those wingtips doing that little flutter when they're coming, that's it. You got yeah. them. You know, and, and there's so much more. You got that aspect of the hunt. You got decoy placement. You got wind direction. You got is everybody hid. Um, you know, and moving a decoy, one, one decoy out of three dozen, two feet to the left, all of a sudden ducks start landing now. They're finishing. Yeah. So there's so much. That's what makes me so ADD. I'll go <laughs> move a decoy all morning long. If one duck doesn't finish, something's yeah. wrong. And, and and if you'll notice too, ducks pinpoint your call. Yes. And so it, the caller of the group, and if you have two or three, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough to have some really good callers. Um, but if you just have one, the ducks are keying in on his call. And if he's not in the right spot in that hole where they can line up and where the wind is right and where the, they got a space, you know, if he's not in the right place, those ducks might not finish. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's so many aspects to get ducks to come from the air and land in your hole. So many guys don't think about that. How are these birds going to finish? Do they have a lane to work? Are they, you know, if they want in there bad enough, they'll kill themselves coming through the trees, but yeah. that ain't all the time. No, I mean, and when you so many guys your, don't think about that. Yeah, you pull it to your hole before you even throw a decoy out. If you haven't, if you're hunting public and you haven't really, you just kind of happened on a nice little spot, you're probably got your headlights in the trees looking for where are they going to come through. Right, where, first, where's the wind? Yeah. Now looking for your breath. Yeah. Which way is the wind going? Right, now can they get through that hole right there? Or there, or or is every tree on that side of the hole so tall, like right. it's going to be virtually impossible? You know, I mean, that's before you ever throw a decoy out. Yeah. Um, you know, so they're scouting, I and mean, golly, there's so much the that goes scouting into part, it. especially having just kind of a, a a list of places. And you know, we kept logs of when we of all right. So the water is at this stage, so we know how much water's in the swamp where we want to hunt. So the wind is coming out of the Northwest. So right away, it's almost more eliminating spots than picking spots. Based so on the wind, wind. Yeah. The wind's out of the Northwest. There's no way we're going to be able to hunt these four or five holes because it's a South Southeast wind. Correct. And so it's almost as much about eliminating spots as it is picking spots. And the only way to do that is experience, know your terrain. And if it's public ground or not, I mean, we spent, what, 10, 12, 15 years hunting some of those spots. Mm -hmm. So we kind of knew based on the wind and where the water was and everything else, how to do it. It's difficult just to tip up on a spot and hit it right. It is. It can be done, but it it is difficult. The problem, well, it's not the problem. The challenge now is with all the regulations changing, you know, a lot of these places you have to be out of there by 12 or Mm one and you can't go back. You know, used to, you, you had to have your hunting gear out. And your ducks and all that, but you could go back and you could scout, you right. know, in a boat or walk or whatever. You know, a lot of the places now in different states, you can't set foot on that place mm-hmm. after one o'clock. Mm-hmm. So that that presents a whole different challenge. Now you're trying to squeeze in a hunt and scout and scout without screwing up. You know, with you know other groups, you want to be respectful of everybody else that's trying to do the same thing. Um, so you know, it's not. It never was easy, but it certainly isn't any easier now. No, um, it's no. more difficult. Um, but yeah, man, there's so, golly, 
But that, I mean, that's what makes it fun. Yeah. It's yeah. such a challenge. So one of the things that I think is just the coolest thing that I've ever seen is the mobile call shop. Tell me about, you had to sit up in bed one night and go, I've got a, I've got a crazy idea. Nah, I, I really wish I could take credit for this idea. Okay. But, uh, my, my, when my dad got uh, sick a couple years ago, my sister lived in New York City. She lived there for 13 years, and she decided to make the move back home and help take care of it. She had been here, I don't know, it had been a, a month or so, and so she and I just went out and grabbed something to eat one night. And we're just talking. She's a she's a pretty free spirit, so she's thinking ahead. Like, what's when Dad gets better? You know, like what's my next move? Right, right. She loves to travel, and so kind of we started kind of talking about the the van life. Yeah, you know, you've seen the van like buy a van and live out of it. And just yeah, man. Know? And uh, I dig it. And she made the statement. She said, "You ought to make a, a duck a mobile duck call shop where you just travel and make calls." And I, I, the, my next statement was that's the single greatest idea I've ever heard I said I'm going to do it so the next that was on a Sunday night on Monday I traveled uh, down to a trailer sales place uh-huh. and uh, fully prepared to have to to customize you know a, what do you call it a cargo trailer yeah, trailer yeah 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 and uh, so I'm talking to the guy and we're looking around and, and he says well let me show you this one I got one used trailer on the lot so you told them what you were wanting to do with it? Yeah. 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 And what you were looking for. Basic, anyway. yeah. And so we walk up to this this trailer, and he opens it up. And, and I noticed it already had an AC unit on top, which was going to be key. Plus. <laughs> and uh, the dual axles, which was key, because it was going to be pretty heavy by the time I got done with it. He opens it up, and it already had indoor-outdoor carpet on the floor and halfway up the sides, and it was insulated. And it had a little – it had electricity had a 30 amp system and he said well the guy bought this to make a, a kind of like an rv trailer camping mm-hmm. trailer out of it he said he traded in on something else he never did anything with it i said well, this is perfect um and so right then it's kind of like this my home shop here where we're sitting like i had a vision for it as soon as i saw it and walked in it and so and this was the day after our conversation that is how much that idea. You wasn't gathering hit. dust, in other words. No, no. <laughs> when, when, when I hear something and I and I want to go, I go. Yeah, you know, right. We're, we're we're all in. And so uh, I left with it, and I got it here, and uh, obviously had a lot of work to do. Had to build benches, you know. Had to go buy tools. Right. Had to go get another lathe. Um, you know, had to run more electricity. Uh, my next door neighbor owns a sawmill and we actually milled the, the cedar and put the cedar on the walls because I wanted a certain look and a certain feel. You kind of wanted to bring this look and feel in that mobile Exactly. Shop. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, I had, an, I had a vision for a wrap. Uh, it wasn't going to be neon green and white. I wanted a very, you know, kind of my brand and my look mm-hmm. is very traditional. Mm-hmm. So the guy that, you know, does, does all my work, I sent him pictures of the trailer sent him some pictures that I had taken and he sends me this wrap back and it is, it's just on point. It's perfect. Yeah. And, uh, so we, we, I sent it to him. He wraps it, uh, run more electricity, get the benches built. And then, so that was about, I think that was February. I think it took me till June or July before it was really like ready to hit the road before mm-hmm. I announced it. And when I announced it, it, it got a lot of, you know, positive, feedback and people right off the bat started saying, Hey, 
like, what is it? Will you come here? And how is this going to work? How does it work? And yeah, you know, I thought through that uh, previously, but till you really get into because every situation I've been in, every place I go is different. Mm-hmm. Um, you got different distances. You know, it's not cheap to hook up to the thing and go somewhere. Yeah, uh, first of all, but you know, so then you have to start working out the pricing and all that, and you know, it turned out just it turned out amazing. You know, the first year, I mean, we did, I think, golly, I think we're at 20 or 25 events now. Really? Yeah. Some public, mostly private events. Uh, Duck clubs would call and say, you know, we'd like for you to come for two or three days, make X amount of calls. Um, And if if I didn't have time to make the the calls that they wanted, I'd have to just obviously make some at my shop Mm -hmm. and take them with me. But, you know, but the idea was... So it's an experience. It's not a booth. Um, It's an experience. I'd say less than three or 4% of the people, hunters, have actually seen a call get made by hand. Mm -hmm. It's just not something you stumble on every day, you know? Right. Uh, A lot of guys that do this by hand are are pretty secretive. They they just don't, what they do is, 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 and you know, and and a lot of those guys are, they do it for a hobby. Mm -hmm. You know, they work all day and they don't want people in their shop looking over their shoulder. You know, to me, I, I decided that, you know, I'm okay with taking that on the road and having 10 guys gathered around me, all asking questions and all watching. Um, I feel comfortable doing that. Mm-hmm. I've done this. I've made enough calls. You know, stuff goes wrong. It's just going to happen sometimes. Yeah. Um, but you know, what I just thought the idea of taking that experience to somebody was just really neat, you know. Offering something nobody else has ever offered. And people have no idea how it's done. Exactly. Because there's so many that are mass produced now. Yeah. That it's it's one cranked out after another and there's no craftsmanship, you know. Yeah, you know, and there and there's obviously a market for that. There's a place for those calls. Oh yeah. Um, but to get back to the to the roots of waterfowling, um, you know, it was handmade. Uh, with very selective woods back then, um, you know, and so I, I just wanted to take that experience. <clears throat> so a lot of, you know, like I said, a lot of them were private duck clubs. I went to the Worlds and uh, last last November and set up at the the museum. Mm-hmm. Um, they welcomed me with open arms, uh, so that was really that, that was a good time. Um, yeah, so I was in Fort Worth, Texas, two weeks ago at a Delta Waterfowl event. Yeah. Uh, so it's taken me, you know, to some places that I never would have gone, uh, to some duck clubs that I never would have gotten to go to. Right. You know, and I'm very upfront with those guys that I'm there to make you duck calls and offer you that experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, if they ask me to hunt with them, that's great. And that's awesome. And, and I have at every place that I've been so far. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm there to show you and give you this experience. Right of a handmade duck call. Right. And they appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. They appreciate it. What other, um, you got some other projects coming up, like with endless migration. You want to talk about that? Yeah. I know yeah. Jake. Very you know, well. Jake, yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. Good guy. So Jake, uh, Jake came down last year. Uh, I mentioned my dad got sick. He ended up having, he had a, uh, uh, liver transplant, not this past January, but January before. And, you know, we were, literally on the verge of, of, of losing him. And this, this was a life-saving surgery mm-hmm. and uh, with a long recovery, but he was able to go hunting this past season. Oh, that's so good. And yeah. And we had some special hunts, one with his best friend, 
from college, his roommate, we went up to his place and hunted. Uh, and then we actually got to hunt with the surgeon at, uh, at his camp oh. on January 1st, which was the day that my dad had his surgery a year and a half ago. Wow. So obviously yeah, that was special. Yeah. Uh, but Jay came down and, and we, we got to hunt a couple of really cool places with some friends. Um, you know, and, and in this, in this film, we're going to tell, we're going to tell the story of, you know, some of what you've heard today, snippets of, of, of things of kind of my past and my right. dad, we're going to tell that story, uh, and how it kind of intertwines with what I do here in the shop every day of making calls. Yeah. So we're super excited about it. Um, you know, Probably we're probably going to release it in the fall, beginning mm-hmm. of fall. But there's a trailer on it now. If you, mm-hmm. you, know, if you check out Ants Migration, there's a trailer uh, that's that's really good, and it, it's going to be really special. Not only you know as as of the story, but for my family, it's right. it's going to be something that my kids and their kids and their you know can always go back and say you know that was my grandfather, or my great grandfather. Yeah, it's memorialized there. Yeah. It is, yeah, because uh, the story it's it's a it's a heart tugger, you know, yeah. But the ending is, is a, it's a good, it's a happy ending. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and here I am getting to do what I love on a daily basis. Right. Uh, and my dad's still here. He lives a mile down the road and comes down and hangs out in the shop. And, That's you know, so good, man. We blow duck calls together. That's so good. Yeah. So he, so this, the, the, the film's going to be all that, you know, kind of tied in to, to the story. Yeah. That's um, when we started filming Passion and Pursuit. That was one of the things that we were super, super intentional about is this is not going to be a, a series of duck killing movies. I mean, do we swat a bunch of them? Yeah, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Do we have hunts where nothing goes right? Yeah, that's life. That's the, that's the way it happens. But the one thing that we were super intentional about is regardless of what happened, whether you just, you know, waxed a bunch of them, whether, you know, the sky is full with, with Canada geese or mallards breaking down through trees or not. Um, something happened, something happened there that was, there was a story that needs telling from our perspective. It's a ministry perspective. You and I look at this a lot in the same way that God puts you in those positions and in God put you in the shop and, he, he directed that film with you and your dad. He does things for his glory and his story. And it's up to us as hunters to figure out, to stop and figure out what that is every, every single time we go. And so much like a lot of the calls that you build have stories built into them, um, our films are the same way. And I think if guys could slow down a little bit and man, that group got out of here. Big deal. You know, we, we didn't fill the straps up. Big deal. Why are we really here? You know, what happened? One of the best things that happened on our trip to Canada last year, um, was one of our cameramen wound up accepting Christ on the last night of the hunt. And it, it was, I mean, I still get goosebumps thinking about it because the, the, he had hunted with us a lot. Um, and it was just through, we kind of just leaked on him. I mean, that there's, there's something that you're out here for a different reason and you're here on this planet for a different reason. And it just kind of overwhelmed him. And he wound up, 
that was the whole reason for our trip. I mean, wish you could have done it in Baton Rouge. We wouldn't have had to go so far to Canada to do it. But, um, but he's got a great testimony now. Yeah. You know, that trip was, yeah. was obviously for him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think, you know, for me, you know, when you talk about faith, you know, it's, it's one of those things that obviously you can't see, um, yep. but you can feel. Yep. And so, you know, I don't know if I mentioned, you know, I was in the corporate world for 12 years and before I started doing this full time. And let me tell you, like, and I could feel this building. I think every, I was, it was very transparent, you know, with my company and mm-hmm. my friends and you know, everybody knew I made duck calls, you know, and then I loved it. But, you know, when it comes down to that decision, of, of totally taking a right when you probably should just keep going straight, you know, in life. You know, I have, I have a seven-year-old and a two-year-old, um, you know, a wife that teaches school. And I had that job that was, uh, you know, what they call a life job and great benefits. Yeah. It was, it was fun. It was stressful, but it was, it was fun. I got to deal with people every day that were customers that became really good friends. Right. You know, all that being said, you get to a, to the fork in the road and you got to make that decision and it's not easy. Um, you know, the first thing everybody thinks of these days is, is health insurance. Yeah. You know, it's expensive. It costs me a lot of money for health insurance now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you lose all the perks of the, of the corporate world. But in the end, that leap of faith, I'd, I'd always, I'd struggle with this, you know, for, for a year or two, like, you know, when is the right time? Right. Um, and is this a selfish decision? Is it because because I just want to make calls and yeah, yeah, get out of the right. corporate? Stress. Am I doing it for the right? Am reason? I doing it for the right reasons? And it was heavy on me for a while, and, and I prayed hard for for signs, like very like God hit me in the face with it. Mm-hmm. Please, yeah. You know the discernment is always the tough thing, you know, and and I and I got those signs. Yeah, uh, it it was in it wasn't in my timing. You know, but it was, it was in his timing and we took the leap of faith, you know, and, and it seems like, seems like I've been doing this for as long as I was in the corporate world. Right. Uh, but it, you know, um, but it was tough. Yeah. It was tough. But on the other side of that, there was a, a sense of peace knowing that it was the right decision. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, as tough does. as it was and as scary it as it's like you're going to make this decision and, and as scary as it looks. Right. On day one, I woke up and I went, whoa, what do I do? Yeah. I don't have to go do. I don't punch a clock anymore. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. This is all of a sudden even more scary. Yes. You know? And so having that faith, I mean, I mean, you know, you got to have it. Yeah, and I will say this: um, you and I have a very similar story about being somewhere where we're comfortable, a life job, right? Mm-hmm. And deciding one day that I am going to make because you and I just had birthdays. Um, you're not as old as me, though. Um, your beard doesn't have <laughs> nearly as much gray as mine does. Um, but there's there's a point where you you need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, and where the faith part comes in is if we're always, I could have stayed where I was and been comfortable and been there and stayed there until I felt like I was ready to retire. 
Um, I, but there's a, there's a danger in being comfortable. Okay. And I, I just comes down to what I think about is what, what do we need a comforter in Jesus for if we're comfortable, but we don't, we don't need that. Yeah. And so that faith, which you talked about is completely trusting that God, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to turn out. You do, but I trust you. And you said that you would never leave me. And everything that happens is for my betterment, as it says in Romans. And I'm going to trust you. And I had the guys from Falco on a few weeks ago. And they said the very much the same thing that you just said. Is that give me some matter of fact, they said, make things happen to where this is obvious that we shouldn't be doing this. And every time they did, it was just affirmation after affirmation after affirmation that they were moving in the right direction. Yeah, you know, another thing for me, and this all points back to those, how, how you can just be convicted by, you know, the Holy Spirit. I didn't want to get to my grave and say, I wish I would. I wish I, yeah. And that was going to happen. Yeah. Um, I also could not look myself in the mirror. I couldn't tell my kids, go do what you truly want to do because you I don't, don't do you don't have to follow you know the norm quote unquote norm right you know go think outside the box and if you want to do something that's so far out there I'm going to support you you know as your parent but how can I tell them that and stay in a comfortable job that I'm going to retire from and then look back and go why was I even here yeah what did I just accomplish in 35 years and I guarantee you that 50% of the people that will listen to this are feeling that kind of just that I'm doing something. I'm, I'm, I know I'm meant, I'm, I was put here to do something, but I'm not doing it right now. Right. And cause I've been there and yeah. there's, a, and the more people I talk to, the more people I realize were there also. Yeah. You know, a, a lot of people are in the spot that they feel like they were called to be at. Yeah. But there's a lot that aren't. And let me tell you, you think it's, you think they don't move because they're afraid of failure. It's fear. Yeah. You know, it's fear, just the opposite of faith. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it's scary. It is so scary. But on the other side of, of scary. So rewarding. Is rewarding. And a piece that you just made a decision that you really knew you should have done probably sooner. Yeah. But you went ahead and you made the decision and now you can see it through. Right. And he's going to walk with you the whole time. Yeah. Um, that was that was tough for me. I'm glad you said that because one of the things before I made the decision to leave a career that I had spent 12 years in um, is how can I, because my daughters now are 19, 17, and 13, and how can I tell them, um, don't be afraid to fail if I didn't do something because I was afraid to fail or I was afraid that it wouldn't work out the way Joey thought it was going to work out. Yeah. Um, and so that was the, that was the switch that went off. I, I can't tell them to do something that you're passionate about, to do something that you love doing. If I'm miserable where I am, and you're like, well, dad, you're, <laughs> why don't you do that? Dad? Yeah, Exactly. How do you answer that question when they ask you that? You know, and the, yeah, 
You can't. You can't. Because you're lying to yourself. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) You know. Hey, one of the other things I want to talk about is your collaboration with Filson. Yeah. That's super interesting to me. How did that, what is it, and how how did that come about? I guess the, the, the quick story to that was one day I was riding down the road and I got a message through Instagram mm-hmm. from uh, the creative director that was basically said, Hey, you know, we've, we've seen what you do. We like it. We, based on what we've seen, we feel like our brand somewhat aligned mm-hmm. and we'd like to sell some of your calls. And, you know, and we're Phil some based out of so-and-so, I knew who Filson was. Right. I, mean, I about had a wreck. Yeah. You know? If you're a duck hunter, <laughs> yeah. you know who Filson is. Yeah. So right I come board. home and it's just, you know, I, I mean, I'm in disbelief that Filson, who has not sold a duck call in 122 years, just reached out and asked me if we can maybe make this work. So, uh, you know, it, t- it takes a little while to get logistics right, you yeah. know, and get everything in line. And, and there's a lot of paper. Tell me about it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> So all that happens and we sell, uh, we decide the first batch is going to be 12. Uh-huh. So we're not talking about a huge number of calls. Right. But we also thinking just the way my brain thinks, like it, it needs to be something really cool and a little bit different. Um, and we need to put our, you know, kind of the ratio spin on it. Mm-hmm. And so I ask, uh, no, we didn't get, I took a pair of my old tin cloth pants that didn't fit and I had my mom sew the call bags mm-hmm. and the pants were just enough material to make a dozen call bags out of set fill some pictures they loved it um, so we, we we I get the calls made send them off and when they release them it was it was a little hectic at first because what the way they were going to sell them was uh, you know walk in or call in orders well, when I made the, the post that they were available, you know, some of the stores weren't quite ready yeah. for the phone calls. Jumped the gun a little bit, did you? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I didn't. I was told. But there's yeah. a whole lot of hands in, in right. something like that. And a whole lot of, a lot of people parts. that need to. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, they sold in, like in, a, in an hour. You know, it was bam, bam, bam. And bro, bro. I had... Uh, <laughs> It, it was pretty cool. It was, it was, it was, they were the number one selling product for Filson. Wow. For yeah. It's just, you know, it was, it was fun. It was cool. So then, you know, um, then we have some conference calls after that. Yeah. And, and, uh, they're a believer. I've obviously been a believer in their product for mm-hmm. ever. And so the next batch, uh, you know, we go ahead and decide on another batch of calls. And, uh, and so now we're, we just did batch three back in March and they went to five different stores across the country. Um, and, and they sold them. You know, how many is in that day. batch? How 50. Many? Okay. 50 was in there. And, uh, we'll do one more batch, uh, this year will be later on in the year. Um, you know, and I'm going to tweak some things, change some things up a little bit, make it cause each batch is, is, is special and unique, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, so I'm already thinking of what we're going to do for the fall. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but the, the the fall will be a lesser number, um, so they'll be they'll be cool. Yeah, they'll be cool. But just to work with a company like Filson, I mean, good gracious, oh. you know, to get that call. I mean, you want to talk about affirmation that you made the right choice? That's kind yeah. of like God saying, "See, I told you." Just it was, and man, I'll tell you, 
well, I skipped this part in, in my story, but I, I started getting those signs early. The first year I made calls, uh, magazine Garden Gun mm-hmm. has the Made in South Awards. An email comes across my desk, you know, and I was like, what the heck? Why not? Send some pictures in. What's it going to hurt? Well, you know, I ended up being a finalist and, and being printed in the magazine right. the first year. And that same year, uh, Seth Fields, who a lot of you guys know, gets a hold of one of my calls and a few other guys. And, you know, he plays in the top five in the World Live Duck at Eastern Maryland, win a few meat calling contests with him. And so, you know, you get that, I guess just to get some validation right. aesthetically from Garden and Gun magazine, right. which is international. Yeah. And then, you know, you're you're seeing them win and place in meat calling contests, you know, across the country all in that first year. And so there was, you know, I, I was getting these signs like, Hey, you're doing, you're doing something. Okay. You know, keep, keep at it, you know, keep perfecting it, keep grinding. Cause you love it. It was just in, I just loved it. And so you start getting these outward signs and, you know, here we are. And then fill some calls and, um, you know, I've done some uh, a call for mossy oak out of the original mossy oak tree last oh, year. Oh, really? Yeah, it was for St. Jude and, and Catch a Dream fundraiser. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it brought four thousand dollars. Wow! That those type things, yeah, are you know, I have to pinch myself sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, so yeah. But the, the, the get back the Filson thing is is pretty awesome. Yeah. What else is um. What else is on the calendar? Where are you going with the call shop anytime soon? Got Anything? a couple of local events um, in June. Uh, then we start getting kind of kicked off, you know, really gets into fall mm-hmm. and, and get it, start getting into hunt season and doing some events. Um, I've got my, my custom coffee I sell. It's a true custom blend. Yeah, I figure every duck hunter, well, 99% of us drink coffee. Yeah. So it uh, sounded like the right thing to to do uh, I've got my leather stuff like yeah. Lego journals and field notes and books yeah. and, um, but mainly you know I sit in here and I turned up calls every day uh, you know I'm fortunate enough to be I haven't taken orders in a while because I, I had about a year's worth on my desk I've started getting into those pretty good mm-hmm. um, so and I, I, I get asked this a lot is you know when are you taking orders again uh, right now it looks like probably the fall I'll open the books back up for a certain amount you'll be caught up enough to start taking caught up enough to take some more orders yeah Yeah. Um, it'll still be a wait time but yeah it's just one of those things if I could make them faster I would yeah but I can't and it I'm not sending something out of the shop it's not perfect yeah and uh, it just takes time I mean like right now I'm I mean if your objective is fast there's a different way of doing it yeah and that's not it's not my objective right Uh, it's not it's not my business model right. at all. <laughs> right. If, right. If anything, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty slow. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just, uh, just keep on keeping on. Yep. Um, I love, I love Instagram. I love Facebook, the marketing side of things. I try to show, I try to show everybody and be very transparent, you know, pictures of the shop, pictures of me working, pictures of the final product. Uh, and that seems to get a pretty good response. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, pe- people seem interested in what goes on in the shop every day. Yeah. Uh, I started writing a, you know, a little blog on my website. Right. Um, right. You know, and I need to do more of that. Yeah. That's a hard thing to do. Golly. Just to switch gears and do 
I know. Yeah. To switch gears and do that. Yeah. But you you've got a lot of guys that come through these doors for call night. Tell me about that. Yeah, call night was something that started. Now I can't remember what year, sixteen or seventeen, where it started out as call lessons. Uh huh. Was hey, the doors are open on Tuesday night. I got food. You know, I was ordering a bunch of pizzas, mm-hmm. and a dozen guys showed up. And so with a dozen guys, you can actually do one on one, like you know, do a right. seminar, and then you kind of everybody goes through and practices or whatever gets critiqued and uh it's fun so we did another the next month we had double 24 people show up and i had a couple of buddies that had come that were very proficient callers bowling worlds and mm-hmm. very good good teachers also well then it got up to you know around 50 and by then like one-on-one call instruction has gone out <laughs> yeah, more. yeah uh now it's a little more just a social gathering and and but i'm still bringing information yeah. it's still educational and entertaining yeah and so I invited, that was when I invited, decided I'd have a guest and just interview him. And that's when I invited Billy Starks, who hadn't been out of Stuttgart in four years at the time. I convinced one of his friends and our mutual friends to drive him down here. Yeah. Because you know, he's almost 80. Yeah. And uh, he loved it. Everybody loved it. So essentially it turned into, you know, an interview. Yeah. Basically a, pot, a live podcast. Right, right. That's what it was. And I provided food, never charged anybody to come in. And they just kept growing to the point where, you know, 50 people in the shop is crowded. Right. Very crowded. Right. So I started uh, uh, getting a tent for outside, a stage, a sound system, chairs. You know, we had David St. John, John Stevens, um, Brooke Richard's been here before. Uh, So he's basically started having guests, you know, friends in the industry that I had. Just connecting people, right? Yeah, people, you know, not many guys can meet those people I just mentioned really ever. Right. So they were willing to give their time and come and let me interview them and meet all these folks, you know, local. I say local. We had guys from four, driving in from four states. Um, had a deal with, uh, you know, Maristar was offering hotel rates, you know, uh, the friends with the manager there. So things, it's just another, it's, things were just working. Yeah. Um, I did have to get sponsors yeah. because the cost was getting right. so high for tents. And I mean, you yeah. start at night of food. Like it was getting an expensive deal to do every month. And it was actually really becoming another job. Yeah. All the planning and all. Yeah. So I think we did six or seven in a row. Then we backed off a little bit. Then we did a few uh, different venues. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did one last year at Tri-State Truck at Justin's Place mm-hmm. in Little Rock, um, we did one at Circle Seven here in Jackson, and uh, so yeah, basically it was a. I mean, to have 150, 200 people in your backyard in the middle of summer talking about duck calls is a pretty cool thing, and that's what it was. It was, you know, that's awesome, man. Then my second, my second child, my son was born, and honestly, I get a question about call night at least once a week, so it was well received. Yeah, um, I need to start doing it again. Yeah. Is the bottom line. Yeah. Well, it's just that one, that four letter word called time. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Only so much you can do. Yeah. But that's what it was about. Yeah. What, um, did we miss anything? Golly. I don't know. Because an hour flies (laughs) by on this thing really quick. It does. It does. I hope people, yeah, yeah. I hope, I hope, I hope you've enjoyed what you've heard today and and taken something away from it. No, man. The shop is awesome. Your work is, is beautiful. Um, anybody that hasn't seen that, that hasn't gone out on Instagram or gone to your website or, um, and it's just cool. You and I have known each other for so long and to, 
Like I've followed you every step of the way from your very first one to where you are now. Um, and I'm like, and vice versa. I've been yeah. following, you know, passion for, yeah. I don't know. I, it's, it's so good to see your buddy succeeding. Yeah. In, in whatever venture they're doing. Um, and it's always the, it, the hard part is to stop and slow down and say, Hey dude, I miss you. What's going on? Proud of you. Yeah. It's, it's difficult. It is. It is. You know, and, and I, and just like you use your platform, you know, I use my platform, you know, through call nights and all, you know, and have other call makers here. Yeah. Sure. There's competition in the world. I'm as competitive as they come. Yeah. Do not get me wrong right. when it comes to that. But this whole thing is also kind of a brotherhood. Yeah. Um, there's some bad apples in it. Sure. Mm-hmm. But I am truly happy for the guys that are, that are doing what I do to see them succeed. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's just good for the sport. Yeah. You know, we're all trying to carry on this tradition and you know, to, if I can, if I have a platform and I can use it to help somebody else, yeah. just like you do, just like you're doing today. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm all in. Yeah. You know? And, yeah. and so I hope, and that, and that's, that's how the waterfowl, not everybody, that's how I view the waterfowl industry. You know, well, that's what makes it special. It's pretty tight, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to put um, in the show notes. I'm going to put your website and Instagram and everything else in the show notes. And um, I just appreciate you having me in the shop, man. This has been a blast. Absolutely. Thanks for coming up. Yeah, man, no for coming up. All the best, dude. You too. Thank you, Josh, for spending so much time with me today. If if you guys could see the amount of orders that Josh has to fulfill, you'd appreciate the the hour that Josh was able to spend. The shop is an amazing creative space, and I love just getting to look around and see not only the history, but the future, really, as well. Uh, guys and gals, do yourself a favor and look at Josh's work either on Instagram or Facebook or on his website. Some of the most beautiful craftsmanship you'll ever see. Thank you again to our sponsors, Tangle Free Waterfall and Hunter's Blend Coffee. We also want to thank Edge Duck Boats, Tahatsu Outboard, Sitka Gear, and Retay Arms, all major contributors to Passion of Pursuit and Revelation Outdoors. Without you guys, we couldn't do what we do. And guys, remember to subscribe to the show and please leave feedback while there. It helps us uh, keep moving up the charts. And if you like the show, please, please share it with your friends and hunting buddies. We greatly appreciate you all. Thanks again for listening, and until next episode, bye-bye, y'all.